Would you pray with me, please? Father God, indeed, we are listening. And I, I pray that you would actually do open our ears and open our hearts, my Father, to hear what it is you have to say to us today. Oh, Father God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your teaching. I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for who you make us to be. I'm grateful to you, my Father, and I glorify you and exalt you. Speak to me and speak through me, that it be your words that I bring to your people today, Father, and open their ears, open their ears to hear what it is that is said. Oh, Father, be glorified here today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning, everyone. Although we are in uh, year B of our liturgical calendar, and generally during uh, year B of the liturgical calendar, our focus is, is Mark. And in fact, uh, how many of you are reading Mark? Great. The majority of the church, that's great. In your bulletins, there are some blank sheets at the end of the bulletin so that you can take notes as you feel the Lord calls you uh, to do that. But um, today, the, the reading that is scheduled is not from Mark, it is from John. And so I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. All of you should have brought your Bibles, but there are Bibles in front of you, to the first chapter of John, first chapter of John, and uh, I'm going to be dealing mostly with the 43rd verse, but I'm actually going to go before that as well. So I want you to be prepared to take a look at it with me and to check the Word with me. But this morning, uh, as we read uh, the Gospel of John, I want us to begin in the area of the River Jordan, not the area of Galilee, where the Gospel that I read this morning is. I want us to begin, and you can see in the map where, where Galilee is and where Judea is, where the area of the Jordan River is, and we're going to move very quickly, or, or John moves very quickly from the area of the Jordan to the area of Galilee. And I'm going to take you a little bit on, on that journey. And the passage that we're looking at today and what I want to focus on on my teaching to you today is on the calling, the calling of Jesus' first six disciples. I want to teach you on the calling that these first six disciples received. Now, when you compare, for example, the way in which John tells us about the calling of the first six disciples, and if you compare it with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, you will see a difference between them, okay? And I want to acknowledge that difference uh, right away. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell us that all of the calling of the disciples was done in Galilee, while John 
tells us that some of the calling of the disciples was done by the River Jordan. So that's, that's one of the differences that you will see between the Gospel of John and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke tells us that Peter and Andrew and James and John are called by the Lake of Galilee. You know, you, you know the story. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And then, as we continue reading, it says, When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat in the higher, with the higher servants and went after him. That is how Matthew, Mark, and Luke tells us about the calling of the first four. He, Jesus is in Galilee, and as he comes to the Sea of Galilee, he finds Peter and Andrew fishing. And he also finds Andrew and James repairing their nets because they're going to go fishing. And he comes to them and he says to them, come and follow me. I will change your fishing of fish and I will make you fishers of men. And they leave everything and they follow Jesus. That's how the synoptic gospels or Matthew, Mark, and Luke tells us about the calling of these four, these two pairs of brothers. But then it later tells us in Mark how he called Matthew. And it says, as he passed by, he saw Levi. By the way, that is Matthew. His Hebrew name is probably Levi, but his uh, Greek name probably was Matthew. Okay, and that's how we know him. It says, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. And as we keep reading, these are now the first five disciples, but then he gathers all of the disciples, in, and he says, up on a mountain in Galilee, and that's where he calls all the rest. And so we read in Matthew 3, chapter, 13, chapter 3, verse 13, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him, then he appointed twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, and I'll tell you right now that Bartholomew is whom we think Nathaniel is. We think that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same individual. And one of the things to notice is how Philip and Bartholomew always are kind of coupled together. And when we look at John, we'll see how, how great friends they were. So that's one of the reasons we believe that Bartholomew uh, is the, the, uh, uh, the one that John mentions as Nathaniel. But he keeps reading, it says, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, 
James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And so we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find that this Jesus calls all of these disciples in the area of Galilee. But when we read John, we see something a little different. And I'll get into that in a moment. What I would like to ask you, because I think it's nice and it's important, if we're talking about the calling, I would like to ask you to consider who brought you to Jesus? What were the circumstances in your life? Or who's that person? Whether a friend or a family member or someone else, who is it? Can you remember the person responsible for bringing you to Jesus or to bring you to the church? What were the circumstances of you coming to the Lord? Any question I'll ask, I'll, I'll answer it at the end. But who was responsible for bringing you to the Lord? Think about it. Perhaps even thank the Lord for that person before we go on. Did you come to the Lord because you were a seeker and you just felt in your heart that you had great need and you just went to a church, any church, and there you met the Lord and, or you just decided, I'm going to give my heart to the Lord. Did you find Jesus all on your own or did someone actually introduce you to the Lord? Just think about it. The majority of people the majority of people who come to place their faith in Jesus Christ and come to know Him as their Lord and their Savior are brought to Him by somebody else. The large majority of people is because someone loved them enough to risk perhaps even at times losing the friendship and talk to them about their Lord and share with them the gospel, and share with them the love of God, and invited them to join a fellowship, to join a church where they have grown, where you have grown. We're talking about the calling of the disciples. And even though Matthew, Mark, and Luke may differ from John in the details of the calling, the reality is that all of the Gospels are the same and tell the same story as to for what reason they were called. They were called to come and follow Jesus. It doesn't matter which of the Gospels, all of the disciples, it is very clear, and they had it very clear. And also I want you to think that when I'm talking about disciples— I'm not talking about volunteers. Jesus never called volunteers to come and be with him. The idea of calling us and calling his disciples was to follow him wherever he led. 
They were being called not to volunteer, but they were being called to become disciples, followers of Jesus. And Jesus is very clear about the cost of discipleship when he says to them, to the multitude and to the twelve, in Mark chapter 10, he says to them, you need to come and deny yourself and take your cross and follow me. The cost of discipleship and the cost of what they were committing to was very, very clear from the beginning. At no point are they being asked to volunteer. They were called to sign up for a cost that may cost them everything. And they knew about it. The calling of all of the disciples through all of the Gospels basically can be summed up in come and have a relationship with me and follow me and become everything I am, I want you to become. Learn from me in following, I want you to learn everything that I do, I want you to see everything that I do, and I want you to eventually replicate everything that I do and everything that I say. Come is an invitation to intimacy with Jesus. It is an invitation to live where Jesus lives. It is an invitation to be in relationship with Jesus. But following him was an invitation to eventually copy everything, to learn everything that Jesus was going to teach. So the invitation is come and follow me. Come and follow me. And that is in all of the Gospels. There's no difference from Matthew, Mark, and Luke to John. I, I came to the church. I grew, up, I grew up in a family that considered themselves, considered themselves uh, Roman Catholic, and this is not uh, anything on the Roman Catholic Church, but my family considered themselves Roman Catholic, but I don't ever remember going to church. The, the big deal... The big deal was Good Friday. On Good Friday, I couldn't play. On Good Friday, we limited what we ate. We, ate, we didn't eat meat. We didn't do certain things. We didn't listen to music. But the rest of the year, listen, I was baptized when I was probably about 8 or 9 or 10. That tells you where my parents were in their faith. For them, it had not been important at all that I be baptized. And their only reason I was baptized is because they felt guilty. Because my sister was baptized, and so I was left without baptism, so let's get him wet. Okay, so, so I was baptized uh, in my hometown in, in Cuba. But it didn't mean that we went to church after that either. The people that brought me and my sister first to the church were neighbors. Neighbors who came to my mother and said to my mother, do you mind if we bring the children to church? And my mom said, yes, take them, take them. Uh, take them and, and, and they need some religion. So yeah, that'd be, that'd be fine. 
And that's how my sister and I, probably at the age of 11 or 12, started going to the church in, in Cuba. It was the love of the church for us children. It was the pastor taking us out to play baseball. It was the place that we did at church. It was the Sunday school. That's why it's so important that our children be in Sunday school, that they learn. You may not think they learn, but it sticks to them. To this day, I remember my Sunday school teachers. To this day, I remember many of the experiences I had in that little church in Guantanamo, Cuba. But that was where my faith started, like a grain of, of mustard seed. Somebody sowed it in. Somebody watered it through the years. Some, somebody, and then eventually we left Cuba, we came here, and people kept watering, and people kept adding fertilizer to it. And, and today, today I'm a man committed to the Lord because somebody said, these kids can use church. And so my sister and I were invited, and eventually we brought pretty much our whole family to the church. My parents, aunts, uncles, we brought many, many people to the church and to the knowledge of the Lord. But it took one person inviting another person. When we look at the Gospel of John, we find that if you look just before the 43rd verse, if you look at, that, at the calling of John and, and Andrew, what happens according to John, the calling of them, is that John the Baptist is baptizing at the River Jordan. And when Jesus comes near the river or near John the Baptist, John immediately begins to identify him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. There he is. That's the one. That is the Lamb of God, the Lamb from God, the one that God is offering to take away the sins of the world. And John kept talking about Jesus, kept talking about Jesus. For two days, every time John came near the river, he would point out to Jesus and say, that is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then we're told that as John... As Jesus walked away from the river, two of John the Baptist's disciples started following Jesus. And as Jesus turned around and said, what do you seek? They said, Lord, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. And we are told that it is late in the day, so the disciples stay with Jesus that night. Now, we don't know what happened that night between Jesus and these two disciples of John. But we know by, that by the morning, these two disciples are convinced that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. They're convinced. We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us what they talked about or how Jesus taught them and discipled them in one night. But by the morning, they are ready to follow Jesus wherever Jesus calls. And then we are told that one of them, this is according to John, one of them is Andrew. And Andrew runs and finds Peter and grabs him and says, you have to come and meet Jesus. And he brings Peter to Jesus, and Jesus changes his name from Cephas to Peter. Cephas is Hebrew, 
Peter is Greek, but it both means stone or rock. He changes his name, and Peter begins to follow Jesus. That was Andrew. The other disciples that followed Jesus were never given the name of that disciple. But we know who it is. It's John the Evangelist who's writing the gospel and doesn't want to bring attention to himself. And the likelihood is that John ran and found his brother James and brought him to Jesus, and you have the first four disciples. Not in Galilee, but in the Jordan and near the Jordan. And that is why, as we look at the 43rd verse, which is the gospel I read today, it begins with the following day. The following day after Andrew and John followed Jesus, the following day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee. And he, he meets this guy in Galilee called Philip. And Philip is from Bethsaida. And I want you to know this. In the Gospel of John, Philip is the only person that Jesus invites to come and follow personally. Everybody else that comes to become a disciple of Jesus, somebody else brings them. Somebody else invites them. Like Andrew bringing Peter. Like John bringing James. Philip is the only one that Jesus actually says, meets him and says to him, Philip, come and follow me. And what Philip does is he go finds his friend, Nathaniel, who is from Cana of Galilee. And he says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, come, let me introduce you to the man that we have found, the one that Moses told us about, the one that the prophets have been spoken about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Nathaniel is from Cana, who is a city, a small city, very near Nazareth, and probably in competition with Nazareth, and they're both very small. So Nathaniel's answer is, what good can come out of Nazareth? It was a way of putting any Nazarenes down. What can come out of Nazareth when Cana is so much better? But he still comes at the invitation of Philip. And as Jesus looks at Nathaniel, he says to Nathaniel, There, that is a true Israelite. That is a man in whom there is no guile, no deceit, no treachery. There is a real seeker of God. There is a man whose heart is for God and to God, and he's doing everything to find God in his life and to invite God in his life. This is a true man of God searching, seeking, opening his heart to the Lord. And when Nathaniel overhears Jesus express himself that way about him, he says, how do you know me? I mean, do you know me? How do you know these things about me? And Jesus says, I saw you before Philip called you. I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's answer is, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the King of Israel. And he begins to confess him as Lord and Savior. We don't know what that means, people. We have no idea what Jesus meant by what I, I saw you under the fig tree. 
We have no idea how Nathaniel, who doesn't think any good can come out of Nazareth, all of a sudden turns into, you are the Lord, you are the Savior, you are the Son of the King of Israel, and begins to confess Him in mighty ways. It has to mean something to Him that we're not privy to. I don't know if Nathaniel had been under an actual fig tree, praying, asking God for a sign. I don't know what Nathaniel, what it meant to Nathaniel, but the moment Jesus revealed to him that he knew the truth of his heart, that he knew his seeking heart, that he knew him, Nathaniel immediately knew that this man was a special man, the Messiah, the King of Israel, the Lord of heaven and earth. And he proclaims him. And Jesus says to him, just because I told you, that I saw you under the fig tree? He says, you're going to see much greater stuff than that. Just wait until you see angels and archangels coming and ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Wait till you see. This is just the beginning, Nathaniel. Wait till you see the kind of things that I will do and can do for the salvation of the world. And now... By the end of this passage, we have the first six disciples of Jesus solidly convinced that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, that he is the King of Israel, and they abandon all things to go and follow Jesus Christ. The invitation is come, be in relationship with me, open your heart to me, and follow me so that I can teach you all that I want you to know. And you will be my disciples. I want to deal for a moment because when, when we're talking about following Jesus, and, and this is really the core of what I want to teach you today, it's not just the calling of these first six, but but your calling. We are reading a book in our reading group. We're reading a, a book that is called by Bill Hall, who was here to speak to us last year. He wrote a book many years ago called Christ-like, The Pursuit. Let me see. I want to quote it correctly. The Pursuit of Uncomplicated Obedience. Christ-like the pursuit of uncomplicated obedience. And let me say this, if you still want to join the group, we invite you to do that. This is an amazing book about following the Lord Jesus Christ. And I still have some of the books left if anybody wants to join this reading group. It will meet the first and third uh, Sunday of each month. Here's something that that he says in the book, that Bill Hall says in the book, which I think it's essential. It is actually a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women, that was my addition, to draw men and women into Christ, to make them little Christs. You just let that sink in. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. 
If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. You see, when I preach to you, I don't want to entertain you. I don't care if you're entertained or not entertained. When I teach you and I preach you, the ultimate reason for the preaching in my heart is that you become little Christ. I'm not here to make you feel good. I want the Word of God to be so transformative in your life that you become everything that Jesus Christ is today in this world. You have the choice of letting it go in one ear and out the other. You have the choice of ignoring or forgetting, but that's on you, not on me. You need to open your heart to the Word of God, and if God chooses to speak to me and you recognize it as the Word of the Lord, you need to say, that's for me, and I have to do something about it. The reason behind every preaching, here or anywhere, the reason for preaching is that you become little Christ and go into the world to be and do everything that Jesus Christ has done and has commanded that we, his church, do. In the book that Bill Hall, in the very first chapter, Bill, actually there is another quote in the, in the chapter that I want you to look at. Bill Hall says that the problem is that many of us have been taught and believe that we can become Christians and not a disciple. The problem is that many of us have been taught to believe that we can become a Christian and not a disciple. Jesus didn't call volunteers. And he's still not calling volunteers. He's calling disciples. That will be committed to the work that he has for us to do until kingdom comes. Not volunteers, but disciples who come to him, have a relationship with him, and follow him to become everything that Jesus is. We are to become that. Little Christ. And Bill presents us in the very first chapter, he presents us with five different gospels. Five gospels that are prevalent in America. And these five Gospels produce certain kind of Christians. And I'll just give you the five Gospels. Actually, they're there. The forgiveness-only Gospel. The Gospel of the left. The prosperity Gospel. The consumer Gospel. And what I call the complete Gospel. And I'll just mention very briefly, because I still invite you to read this book and be part of the book reading group. But the most prevalent, at least in our, in our lives, and let me tell you, I've bought into this sometimes. The forgiveness gospel basically says, come to Jesus, he'll forgive all your sins, and you get to heaven. Come, 
Come and just pray with me. Oh Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. Forgive me my sins. You know, I give you my life. Come Holy Spirit and then go home and don't do anything about it. Now you're saved. You're saved. Now heaven is, is clear. The, the, the way is clear for you. You don't have to worry about anything else. No discipleship. And that's prevalent in America. That's one of the gospels that get preached out there. Just believe. You don't have to follow. Just believe. And that's only half the story. That's only half the good news. That's only half of what it means to be a disciple. There's no take up your cross and follow me. Just, just believe. Don't worry about the rest. Once you are in, you're in. You can't lose your salvation. Once you have forgiven your sins and your, you confess your sins and your sins are forgiven, that's it. No responsibilities from that point on. That's not the full gospel. The gospel to the left is more the social gospel that we saw back in the 60s and we still see today. The watering down of the gospel so that we bring in all kinds of people that really don't want to follow Jesus. They just want to feel good. And so the gospel is changed, altered, watered down so that there's no commitment. There is no you have to change. Just come and join us. Come and join us. Let's add numbers to the church and everybody's happy and kumbaya. Okay? And, and, and that's still prevalent today in many churches. Then you have the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel basically says that Jesus not only heals you of your physical illnesses and things, He also heals your wallet. He also heals your... Uh, your ability to, to be rich. And Jesus changes you. And so if you invest into my ministry, the more you invest, the more God's going to produce for you. We know that gospel. We've heard it. It's been in, it's been in, in the television over and over and over again. And we know some of these preachers. And you know, they can quote scripture at you, but the basic idea is if you invest in my ministry, God is going to duplicate it. There's nothing else to be done. That's the prosperity gospel. But the other gospel that is so prevalent in our lives is the, the consumer gospel. The consumer gospel is where you basically come to the church and, and you hear this entertaining sermon but no requirement for you to really do the stuff. Just, just come and fill the church, and I will be eloquent, and I will have the best production possible for all of you, because we are in a very consumeristic society. We want everything fast, we want our food fast, and we want our religion fast. And we want to get to heaven fast without it costing us too much. So come to the altar. Let's confess Jesus and no follow-up after that. And those are gospels that are prevalent today. And they may be wonderful in some way. And it is true that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. But once you become a disciple and a follower of Jesus, you're signing up. For a great work that will change you, but through you will change the world. And if it doesn't change the world, there's something wrong with the way you received it. 
The true gospel is a gospel that makes you a, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a duplicate of Jesus. At home, at work, in your neighborhood, in the world, it is a mini Jesus, a mini Christ. The gospel calls us to be in relationship with Jesus so that we can be everything that Jesus is to the world. That gospel is the complete gospel. It's the Jesus that says, come to me and follow me because when I leave, I'm going to leave you to do the very same things I've done and to preach the very same word I have preached and you will be Christ, little Christ, in the world until I come again. That is the complete gospel. The complete gospel invites us to be in relationship with Jesus but it also invites us to be transformed through discipleship, through giving ourselves to the Lord, so that God can continue to work in this life through the church of Jesus Christ. That is the complete gospel. Not the half gospel, not the desired gospel, not the convenient gospel, but the full gospel where Jesus says to his disciple, come and, uh, and deny yourself, and take your cross and follow me, and being a disciple will cost you. It will cost you. If it doesn't cost you, you're probably not a full disciple. You haven't gotten it yet. And the church's responsibility is to preach the gospel that makes full disciples and preaches the full gospel, both with the joys of having Jesus in our lives and the responsibility that Jesus places upon us to go spread the good news to everyone. That is the full gospel, and that costs the church, and it costs you. And you and I need to become mini Christ wherever we're planted. What I would like is to see everyone in this church, every one of you in this church today, I would like every one of you to be able to lead others to Christ. I don't want your Christianity to be private and personal. Come and follow me is an invitation not only for you, but through you, for you to tell others, come and meet Jesus. He changed me. He brought me joy. He brought me peace. He changed my life. I now, I'm a different person. Come and he can do the same for you. I would like everyone on this church, in this church, to seriously consider that you are a disciple to make disciples. I would like everyone in this church to be able to lead others to Christ, to know exactly how to do it, what to do, how to say it, what to pray, that you would have the courage to know that in the name of Jesus you are sent to the lost. And that you need to have the courage sometimes to risk, but that you need to share in love, in friendship, that you need to share with others Jesus Christ. I want everyone in this church to be able to lead somebody else to Jesus. But I also want everyone in this church to be fully equipped as a disciple maker. I want you to be able to lead, not just lead them to Jesus, but take them by the hand and lead them to know everything that Jesus has commanded that we teach them. 
The Great Commission says, go into all the world, make disciples of every nation, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them, disciple them, teach them everything I have commanded you, you are to teach it to somebody else. I want to encourage you to seriously consider that you are called to bring others to Jesus, but then don't drop them like a baby just born and don't care for them anymore. I want everyone in this church to be able to spend time with someone and lead them to understand the gospel and what Jesus is offering and what Jesus is asking and what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we teach the classes that we teach, Discipleship 101, the book that we are reading. This church is about disciple makers, making disciples that make disciples. But you need to seriously consider that if you're not equipped to bring another to Christ, talk to me. I will, talk, I will teach you. I will lead you. But I won't leave it there. I want you to be able to make disciples. Lead them. Help them understand the gospel. Help them understand every part of the gospel, including the cost of following Jesus. Because that's what a disciple is about. Then we can change the world. Otherwise, we're just entertaining one another at church. I would like to ask every one of you to consider where you're at in this point. Can you invite others to Christ? And can you disciple others? Can you sit down with them and walk them through the gospel? If not, I want to say to you, there's plenty that I can do to equip you and to help you, not only you becoming a disciple, but you leading others and and teaching others the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when I teach this class, you need to want it. You need to want it. You need to say, here I am, teach me. So the invitation to you is come, be in relationship with me, and follow me into the work of the kingdom. But the invitation through you to the world is come meet Jesus like Philip did to Nathaniel come meet Jesus and then let's follow him together so that we can become everything that Jesus is calling us to be come and follow the, the, uh, and I'll close with this but the greatest description that I have ever found of what it means to be a disciple or to disciple someone. The greatest description is a Jewish proverb that I keep mentioning all over, but it, is, it says, find a rabbi and then be covered by his dust. Think about that. Find a teacher. Find a teacher and walk with him so close that his dust covers you, covers your clothes, covers your face, that everything he does, you learn. That everything he teaches, you learn. That you are covered by everything that this rabbi, in this case, Jesus. That is discipleship. And that's what calling, the calling of Jesus is that. that it was the calling to the disciple, and it is the calling to you and to me today. Come. Come. Be in relationship with me. 
but follow me so that you learn, so that you learn from me. And whatever I do, you do. And whatever I teach, you teach. And practice what it is I'm preaching. That's what Jesus is saying to you today and to me. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of human beings. Because that's the call of the church. It's not warm the pews and the preacher will entertain you. Stand with me, please.